Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you are in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Today's guests are Blake Daniels and Haley Chandler. Blake and Haley are founders of Daniels and Chandler Architects out of Nashville, Tennessee. Blake is a registered architect who is active in the Nashville community as a member of the Phoenix Club of Nashville, the Institute of American Institute of Architects, AIA, Middle Tennessee chapter, and is an adjunct professor at Belmont University. Amore College of Architecture and Design. Haley is also a registered architect. She volunteers as a team leader for the Nashville affiliate of ACE Mentoring and is the chair of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, uh, EDI committee, and a board member of AIA Middle Tennessee chapter. She's also a 30 under 30 class of 2022 honoree. In 2020 and 2021, the American Institute of Architects Tennessee chapter awarded Daniels and Chandler, the Emerging Professionals Friendly Certified Top 10 Award. They also have been recently featured in the Nashville Post regarding their design for the rooftop edition of the Pie Town Building. Now, I don't know much about Pie Town uh, Building because I'm not from Nashville, but uh, from my understanding, there's axe throwing and their building or design is for a British style bowling lawn and pub. Uh, so uh, first, welcome to the show, uh, Blake and Haley, and tell me quickly about English lawn uh, bowling. I, I need to know that first, right off the, before we ask any other questions, I need to get to the bottom of this. So if it makes you feel any better, we didn't know anything about lawn bowling either before we met this client. So we've learned a lot. Yes. And thank you both for having us. Yeah. We're excited to be here, but think of it as elevated bocce ball, just with a different name. That's good to know. All right. I love elevated bocce ball. <gasps> yeah. All right. So uh, I gave the spiel, but tell us, give us our the true origin story. Tell us about uh, you, Haley. Tell us you about Blake. And then tell us how the Daniels uh, Chandler architects came together. Sure. I'll start with me. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Iowa, just south of Des Moines. Very similar, like uh, middle class upbringing. My mom is an educator. My dad worked in blue collar jobs. And my parents were both very community focused and education focused. So I grew up thinking I was going to be a dentist. I'm like one of the rare kids that was like, I'm going to be a dentist. I loved the dentist, thrived. And then I realized that you have to go to medical school and I faint at the sight of blood. So I thought maybe that wasn't my route. My grandfather was an engineer uh, for about 40 years for our county. So I said, oh, I'll do that instead. Went to tour some schools and they said, you like math? I'm like, math is great. Problem solving? Absolutely. And they're like, what about science? I'm like, can we leave her out of it? I don't want to be a part of that science part. <laughs> and then they kind of hinted like, if you like art, maybe architecture should path. So toured an architecture school, loved that it brought that form, you know, the art side of it with function, the math side, bringing it together and you can still help people in some form and capacity. So eventually I moseyed on down from like Des Moines, Iowa to Knoxville, Tennessee, went to school at University of Tennessee graduated in 2014, made some lifelong friends there, met my husband there, um, and then moved three hours closer to home and landed in Nashville. I thought I wanted to do education when I came out of school. I thought there was something really impactful about um, children interacting with space outside of their home. Typically the first time is through schools. 
So I thought that might be my path. I landed at an architecture firm that did mostly healthcare, but also had an education component as well. And that's where I met Blake. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I grew up in Oxford, Mississippi, uh, and slowly made the trek up to Nashville. Uh, but growing up, my dad was a contractor and developer. As a kid, he made me work on the job sites every day, and I did not understand why that was so important. And then once I got into high school, he made me work for every trade. All I wanted to do was go start a grass cutting business, uh, but no, I had to work for him. And that led to understanding how buildings go together. Um, and from you know, leaving high school, went to Mississippi State University, and from there really started growing as a designer and then got really lucky and graduated right at the height of the Great Recession. <laughs> I think I submitted something like 200 applications to find a job and of no one's fault, it just, there were no jobs. So then it just forced that entrepreneurial spirit to come together and say, hey, how do we create jobs when there's nothing to do? And was able to find a semester teach a job teaching for a semester at Mississippi State at the same time still working for my dad just knowing hey if, as long as I stay tied into the industry something will happen uh, and you know did that for a year year and a half at which point I was lucky to get a job with Mike Ellis at Ellis Architects in Tuscaloosa Alabama which seems like a strange location to move to when you're trying to get to Nashville but it was probably one of the most impactful learning experiences in my career, uh, moving to Tuscaloosa, tornado destroyed Tuscaloosa at the kind of the same time, which led to a lot of understanding of building new construction, urban planning, and all of it happening at a really fast pace. Uh, while under tragic circumstances, it led to a lot of opportunity. Um, and then after learning there, moved to Nashville to pursue career in healthcare. Um, and through that, made a great friend in Haley. And then we just kind of started figuring out, is this something we want to try? Um, yeah, it really started as like a, oh yeah, we should do that one day. Ha ha ha. And then it was like, well, wait, should we, should we start a company? And then it was like, why aren't we starting a company? It transitioned very quickly. And we had not worked on a ton of projects together, but we had a good yin and yang as friends. Yeah. I think we kept having this conversation. We're working in eight or 10 different States. We're traveling all the time. Our family is here. Uh, let's just, we're young. What's the worst that could happen? Let's see. And I think this is a point where it behooves us to stop and say, thank you to our spouses and Haley here. Yeah, I was just engaged. Uh, so my fiance, I drug him along for the ride. I was like, by the way, I'm going to build this business. Your name's going to be in it. Are you good? Crazy. Catherine and Ben are probably the real risk takers in this. They are our spouses and they were the ones, yeah, go for it. You've got this. There's yeah. No reason to lose sleep over this. Let's try it. So from there we started and, you know, just leaned on our small network at the time and just grew from there. And that was in 2018. And here we are end of 2022 and team of 10. So it's, it's really exciting. That's interesting. One, uh, the grass cutting entrepreneur spirit at a young, young age and Haley, you got the the story from the the Christmas uh, claymation. You know, the little little boy wants to be the dentist. It's like instead of an elf, I'm going to be a dentist. You got that going for it. That's awesome. That's right. So two to ten, that's hard, right? Like that, in it's in 2018. That's not that's not very long. It's only 2022. So like, what challenges does that bring? Obviously, you got the risk 
uh, and your spouses obviously allow you to take this risk on. So you go out, uh, the two of you, you start this company, and now you've grown it, five, five X in people. What challenges come from that? So from that, you know, the challenges are what we're dealing with now are people challenges. Uh, in the early days, it was revenue challenges, making sure we were making ends meet. I remember one Friday afternoon, we had just reviewed cash flow and PL, and we had made $1,800 that month, and it was time to celebrate. Like that was a big win. Uh, and so, you know, we've always looked at the challenges and then said, how do we celebrate them? So I think we still celebrate on a pretty regular basis. It just, the, the scale of what we're celebrating tends to get larger. Um, and so it changed from revenue to where's our office? What technologies are we using? How are we getting projects done? And now it is team-based and people-based and how we scale from, because at this point it's people that scales. And I think there's kind of a good yin and yang between Blake and I, I'm really focused on the people and he's really focused on the projects and we meet somewhere in the middle with the process. And I'm probably a little softer on the people. He's harder on the people. And then he is softer on the projects and I'm a little harder on the projects. So we balance each other out in that way. But having those conversations throughout has made us grow uh, incrementally where we're comfortable, but at a very rapid pace when we look back over the last four and a half years. And I feel like we should clarify when she says the projects, she means I am really easy on the proposals <laughs> and everybody else is saying, no, Blake, charge more. <laughs> we'll definitely uh, dive into uh, the, the philosophy of, of that in a second. So you'd mentioned people first. That was the, hey, the challenge changed. It's people now it's not making making money because you know we've got some cash flow. We got more cash flow than at least $1,800, right? So like people, people problems that that's, that starts with hiring, right? Like you got, you know, when you hire the right people, you get the right people in the right seats. Like that's the, that, that makes it a lot easier or, you know, again, there's always gonna be problems, but that makes it easier. So what is, what's the philosophy with hiring? What does that look like at Daniels and Chandler? So that first hire we made was probably the most intimidating. We had to make sure they were going to like us and we were going to like them. We started at the EC, the entrepreneur center in town. So we start, went from renting a desk or not even renting a desk, renting a hot desk, just the two of us. And then we finally established real desks that were ours that we could claim. Um, and we had to woo someone into working with us and sitting next to us at a co-working center. But finding that right person to kick off the culture was intimidating. It was very intimidating because at this time we were really small. I mean, that person is higher number three. You spend all your time together. It's one of those things, while we are really good friends and great business partners, a lot of times that's really because we're opposites in many ways, which allows us to have that good yin and yang. But now we're bringing in number three that it's a toss up and you start the interview process and you're like, well, you know, some people are good at interviewing and is that really going to mesh with us? But you know, went through several interviews, found the right person, got in it, and she has been a huge hire for us and also a risk taker. I mean, her first job when she came on board, we were like, welcome to Daniels and Chandler Architects. Uh, we actually just won a hotel. We don't know how to design the interior of a hotel. You're fresh out of college. You know exactly what to do. Go forth and conquer. And it was a huge success. It ended up being a lot of fun. But talk about drinking fire from a fire hose. I mean, water from a fire hose. I mean, it was welcome to the team. Good luck. That is wild. And I'm sure in the middle of all that, you know, that first hire, 
what is what does it look like when mommy and daddy don't disagree it was crazy i left for my honeymoon at one point and it was just her and blake and he was like i don't know what to do with her if it's just me um he was like i feel really bad but she's sat next to me and i was like hey i'm gonna train you up and blake's going and getting work and i'm making sure the work is looking right we're really jiving and i say hey, i'm gonna take off for a week i'll see you soon but it's great because he and I are very open about like, hey, I think it should be this. And he'll say, well, actually, I think it should go this way. And we talk about it simply. So I feel like most of our team can have the same conversation with us saying, I, I get where you're coming from. But what if we looked at it from this direction? So having that open dialogue actually helps them also have the same open dialogue with us. And I think that comes from we with our first few hires, we built a really dynamic, open conversation with them to where mm -hmm. everybody feels comfortable. And so now when new hires come in, I don't think anybody feels intimidated to say, well, what if? Uh, because I think, you know, is, if we're going to talk about scale and how we grow and it being about people, the improvements come from the people we can always, I mean, at this point, we're focused on much larger inner business things, not always the the boots on the ground efficiencies. It, it sounds it sounds like you know the culture you're building, right? So you, you go getter, right? So hey, don't know how to neither of us know how to design this thing. Uh, I hope I, I hope you can figure it out. Um, obviously, openness to 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 have disagreement, conflict, you know, happens in business. So what what has changed with your culture? Obviously, it's from two of you to ten. What's changed? What's stayed the same? What uh, surprises ha have kind of come from this? I would say we, I, within the last six months, we've really established more of a mission. Yeah. Our mission for 2023 is going to start out as relationships through design. When we started this year at the Christmas party last year, we had five, including the two of us. And Blake said, we're going to hire five next year. And everyone's eyes at the table glazed over. They're like, what are we doing? How is this happening? Um, and we accomplished that goal, but we really added the right people at the right time because the relationships that we're building in the community are not just our relationships, they're relationships with clients that they touch base with every day, with our contractors, with Metro Nashville, even the people that we work with on site, making sure that they feel bought into our mission and making our projects as successful as possible for the clients. And a lot of that buy-in starts with now the hiring process looks like our team is going to meet with young up-and-coming designers at career fairs at the school and letting them help find the people and then bringing Haley and I in, which is not atypical for other, other firms, but they're committed to the people before we've even had the conversation with them, uh, which is, is exciting because then the team starts to shape and look very different than of the original hires we were making and i think that that creates a lot of camaraderie uh, but it's bringing a lot of life to the office as well so how would you then grade success for your company people i think design comes first if we're not putting out great design people won't want to work with us um, but i think our people are a close second you know if we have great design and great people I think you're unstoppable in this industry. You just have to provide the level of service that can can match that. Um, I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we're not consistently providing opportunities for both collective and individual growth. So we strive every day to make sure we're providing those opportunities as much as possible. I would piggyback on that and say, yeah, I think it is very much. Are we are we being are we creating successful opportunities for our people to grow and turn into leaders? Uh, we. One of our foundational things when we started the company was we want to make sure that everybody can control their own career. We don't want to 
rule from the top down saying, here's your career path and this is what it has to look like. Uh, design is all about creative, uh, creative thinking and your career can take many different routes. Uh, and, and we want to inspire our people to, to take advantage of that. So you said mission 2023 relationships, uh, relationships through design, right? That, that is the mission. So 2023, we're going to, we're going to, this is the focus. So when we think of 2033, how do you know that you did that? I think in 2033, we look back and we go, wow, those 10 people that are sitting around us right now are now all leaders within the company and have been able to create teams and are now training people on their teams to start moving into leadership roles. Uh, I think it's one of those look back and be proud of the accomplishments of what those individuals did. And knowing that, yes, Haley and I created the avenue for that, but I, I'm excited to see what they do. It's a great way to have vision and being able to pass along. So leadership aspect, you know, kind of continues the trail that you're trying to create. That's awesome. I really hope that, that that's exactly what happens by 2020, 2033. Right. Yeah, check in with us 10 years. We'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're checking in before that. We got to get updates. We don't we don't want to just pop in and you guys are, you know, 400 people. We want to see a little bit more of the journey. So we talk a little bit uh, on the podcast in, in previous podcasts, the difference between working in the business and working on the business. How are you able to recognize and or find time to work on the business so early in your kind of business journey? So we had a mentor bring this up to us really early within the last two years um, and said, hey, I think you should really look into this program through the Entrepreneur Center. Uh, it's Catalyst. So it's what gets you to be an EL member? Like, how can we get you there within a year and grow companies to that million dollar mark? And we took it to heart. We said, we can't spend, I think it was what, once a week, it was once it was four hours every two weeks. Yeah. So it was eight hours a month just dedicated to this class. And they really challenged us to think about, hey, if you're not willing to work on the business, no one's working on it but you. And so we took time. We'd do the homework they'd give us. Mm -hmm. um, our team knew we were leaving, you know, eight hours a month to go do this and really dedicate time to it. And I think what we realized is, is if we don't give ourselves opportunity to do this and let go of the reins of some of our, you know, in the business stuff, um, we would never scale. And I think that's a fear that every entrepreneur runs into is you've created this baby, for lack of better words, and you've been growing it and fostering it and making sure everything kind of happens the way you want it to. And that class helped us look at it and go, you know what? Things are going to happen. It's not going to look exactly the way you want it to. But in the end, are the bigger goals getting met? And that's where, you know, going through that class, we were able to say at the Christmas party, we're going to hire five people and we're going to double our revenue next year. And it seemed like a lofty goal to us. We said it out loud because they said, you won't believe it unless you say it. I don't even know that we fully believed it until we committed to it at that Christmas party. <laughs> but here we are three weeks from now, I'm going to be able to sit at a Christmas party and celebrate that exact thing that we've already done. So uh, it's, you know, work on the business, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, I think is where is, is a lot of what we learned. And you, you get out of it what you put in. You know, one of the things the class was every two weeks, but we took that same time period and it that on the off weeks. And that's when we focused on kind of the work, the homework, 
and it was it was exponential at how fast it started happening in the growth and the revenue growth through the class it didn't even have to happen after the class i mean we i would say our revenue went up 40 to 60 percent during the duration of that class just taking those tools building on them learning from them and implementing that's awesome congratulations that's great to hear uh i mean that's that's a uh, i think uh there's a term for that it's called execution <laughs> So I was thinking about this time away, right? Haley, you had mentioned something. You went on maternity leave. You want to describe the challenges around that? Absolutely. Uh, when it's two people leading the charge, um, Blake does a lot of the business development, marketing, early concept, and I was more the person on the back end making sure a lot of the admin work was getting done. So if you ever receive a bill from us, I'm the one billing you. <laughs> but I run a lot of our books and I make sure people are focusing and getting tasks and uh, deadlines met and found out I was pregnant. Blake was the second person to know besides my husband. Uh, and then I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? We got to make sure the team knows. And it was great. I pulled out a list of tasks and divided and conquered. We actually ended up bringing two of our, our leaders in the firm. We call it our leadership team. They started writing all of the proposals I would write and they split it. And it was it was really cool to see them grow into that role quickly. Uh, they took it over a month before I left so they could ask any questions they could have possibly had. And I've not taken it back. I've been back from maternity leave since August and they they own it. It's theirs. They're, they're doing a fantastic job of marketing to clients and maintaining relationships with clients. So it allows me to think more big picture on higher level business. That's great. That's so in many ways, it was forced work. It was forced <laughs> to be able to work on the business and put those people in those positions. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's getting comfortable letting go and they have thrived with it. And it has been a huge success. Letting go of the vine in EOS uh, in terms will say, yeah, you just got to figure out, you got to let go. You got to let go. And uh, that just then empowers those people, right? Like if they're the right people in the right seat, on the right bus, going in the right direction, like that you, you're going to be wowed. Like you are going to go ahead and, and be, in awe that now, hey, I'm back from maternity leave and I'm not taking that back over because I have the leaders in place that are going to be able to do this for me. Then I assume teaching and training though, right? Like, so you have to, you have to level other people up, right? That's, that's part of, of being a leader, right? So what does that look like in, in your company? We were fortunate as we were young designers coming up before we got licensed that people sat down and took the time. Teaching and training, you know, the technical stuff is going to come in time. We expect that. But the soft touches of learning, so learning how to interact with clients, what do client meetings look like and how do you engage with people outside of our, you know, our four walls when you're going in marketing at different events. Those things are hard to learn and there's not a lot of access to that as a young designer unless you're at a small firm. Um, so we really try to integrate our team members as soon as they get involved on a project from start to finish they're they're seeing it through and they're involved in every conversation with the owners, with the contractor so that we can teach those soft soft touch skills, if you will. They become the curator of that relationship through design. And it build and in the end, when it cut when you really drill down to the root cause, that creates trust. Uh, especially in an industry where there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of elements that go into design and construction. Not everything is always thought about through design. Uh, and if you build these really strong relationships and a, and a foundation of trust, clients, contractors, whoever 
feel comfortable reaching out and saying, Hey, we just encountered this item on in, in construction. How might we mitigate that? Or what opportunity does that present to us? And it's, it's a team-based approach to everything, which makes it a lot of fun and a, a lot less stressful. You had these sort of tasks. We talked a little bit about this in the pre-interview. Tell us about your 120 tasks for the business process. So we, we set out this year in December or January, we sat everyone down and we said, these are our top 20 goals for the company. And they were on the business, not in the business. We were really transparent about what that looked like. Um, we broke them into subtasks. There were 120 on the list or so. And we ran through the entire list. And then when we finished that, we said, okay, who wants to take what? A lot of those tasks could look like templating things, um, creating processes, uh, documentation. Like it's not sexy, sleek, cool stuff that is flashy and you get to put your name on outside of these walls, but it makes a huge difference and makes us more efficient as a company. So it's truly trying to make sure that that goal setting was taken in and there was ownership on each, each task. And as those tasks were met, we had a fun outing retreat. Yeah. So we split it into quarters. We said, okay, hey, there's 120 tasks. Each task has a point value to it. Again, this is a tool we learned from EO Catalyst. And everyone took ownership of that. And we said, hey, if we hit, I think we said 90% of the of the number, uh, striving for perfection, but not having to be 100%. If we hit 90% of that quarter's goals, we will go do said fun event that you all get to pick. And the picks have been uh, spa day, um, top golf outing, company a, retreat, company retreat, and then what's the big one where they're wanting for next year? A predators game. Yeah, everyone going and getting treated to a predators game, going all out against the Blackhawks. Obviously, that's first and foremost. Throw that away. Yeah, always, <laughs> always. That's the fun. That's that's the match. That's just tons of fun. I think one of the most interesting things, though, is, you know, those ones points really matter. And we really are looking that, at that data, making sure that we're hitting that. Um, but we have a second tab on it it's for personal goals. We ask everyone to give themselves 20 points worth of personal goals for the year. Uh, Blake, his were focused around time management. Um, mine were focused around maternity leave, making sure I was comfortable with that. And I made this joke earlier, but I'll do it again. Uh, it's like, whose line is anyway? The points don't matter. They truly don't. If they're written down, the likelihood of our team members hitting those goals were much higher. So a lot of, especially the younger designers, were focused around testing. Um, some of them were even as simple as like, hey, getting my real ID. Like you have to take time out of your day. Uh, but it allows us to know when people are stressed, um, when they're overworked or overwhelmed. If they have something else going on in their personal life that they've chosen to share with us, we want to be cognizant of that and show them grace. Well, and when it's lit, written down as a goal, maybe Haley and I aren't peer pressuring them as much, but when it's like personal goals of things they want to accomplish in, in their life, your coworkers become your friends and they become good advocates for them to help lift them up uh, and, and, and strive to meet those goals and succeed at that. And I want to go back to the 120 task and, and, and making it to the fun outing or whatever it is. Haley and I also have points in there. Yeah. And, you know, it's so hard to like to focus on working on the business on these mundane tasks that if we get close to the end of the quarter and I've got 12 or 15 points that I am responsible for. Everybody here is yelling at me to like, hey, what do we got to do to help you get your points done? Because we are not going to miss our spa day. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's a, it's a good it, it's a good way to empower our team to feel comfortable saying, guys, y'all got to do your part too. 
I hope people actually heard this because it's super interesting. Even though you're the owner, you're essentially allowing your employees to yell at you from an accountability standpoint if you're not staying true to kind of what are, what your roles are and what you're responsible to. Where So you're not really pulling the owner's card. I'm the owner. I can do whatever the hell I want. You're going, okay, I'm. you're right. I need to do these things. I need to focus on that. It's very different. Anyone that's listening, I want you to reflect on your business and which one are you actually doing, right? Are you pulling your owner's card? Nah, I'm going to go to the golf outing or I'm going to forget that. I don't actually want to do that. Or, you know, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should do something about that, right? I think that's the difference from my perspective. The companies at scale, the role, responsibility, the owner's card doesn't exist, right? You have a leader card, sure. But that's different than pulling an owner card. Also, the personal side, huge. I got, I got a journal. I got a quarterly journal I do all the time. Uh, and the writing things down, write it down. Like, oh, my God, the, the difference that makes is unbelievable. And it's super cool that you're bringing in the, hey, like, how, what are you trying to achieve? Like, just you. Like, how, how are you trying to get better as a person, like, as a human being, not as in an employee or, you know, a designer? Like, how are you just trying to be better? And let's write that down and, and make that a challenge to make you make yourself be better. That's really, really cool. So I want to circle back to processes and one specific one, uh, because you're really kind of working on this hiring process. You want to talk to us a little bit about your hiring process, some of the unique aspects and what you kind of figured out? I would say the biggest key that we have figured out is we lean on strengths finder and making sure that while we may really enjoy the person we're interviewing with, there's a few things that we can't overlook. Um, and one of those is using the strengths finder test to make sure they're going to mesh with whatever team we believe is going to be a part of that person's life. Um, and then the other thing is when we're looking through portfolios, it seems so simple and so mundane, but we want to see a hand drawing in there uh, and, and young designers coming out of college right now have such immense access to technology and rendering that yes, it's cool and flashy and looks amazing, but that hand drawing is one of those lost arts that if we're going to go back to our mission relationships through design, when you're meeting with a client, you have to have the ability to draw on a piece of paper and talk about what you were designing and what the space could be or make changes on the fly. If we see a hand drawing, we assume there's, they can do that because if you're confident in that, it's kind of the foundational confidence to a few other things that help them grow. I would also add, especially for people coming out of school, uh, if you don't have a partner project in your portfolio, if you don't work well with others, you don't play well with the others, that's kind of a red flag for us. So using that we mentality as you present things is a huge deal for us. If we hear someone say, I, 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 and we see four names on the project, it's a little disconcerting. But if you say, hey, we worked on this and hey, here's exactly what I worked on within this project, we love to hear that because everything we do is not just a single person's job. It is a collaborative environment. So we love knowing you work well on a team and you're willing to take on tasks that are yours to claim and willing to share that we mentality. And then as we mentioned earlier, our our team is meeting with folks first and then Haley and I get to have kind of that final, what you say, leadership card decision to make sure we think they're going to mesh but it's been it's been a huge success so far so you don't want so what you're really saying 
metaphorically speaking, is you want everyone to play nice in the sandbox and no throwing sand. And if there's any uh, past history of throwing sand, probably don't want them. I don't think we have any pot stirrers by any means. Uh, I want someone who's going to fight for their design and who believes in what they're doing. But I also want someone who, you're right, can play nice. Like they need to be able to validate their design while not uh, invalidating others, I suppose. The concept of you want to have the biggest building in town, that doesn't mean tear down all the other buildings. It means just build a better building. Like that's the idea. And that actually works because you're architects. So look at that. That It didn't even connect in my brain until after I said it. So what's the hardest hire then? Like, so, you you know, you got eight that you you did, assuming you two, you know, you're not going to count each other as in hiring each other. uh, And maybe that's it. But what's the hardest uh, hire that you did have? Once we got over the first hire hurdle, it felt really comfortable. The next round we hired two. I think our next uh, big hire, it's, it's most consistently trying to find that seasoned vet who's willing to train because we have a young team that wants to learn, but also they're kind of unicorns in this market. Finding someone who has some experience and wants to grow and build their own book of business with our team, you have to find someone with drive, uh, but also who has technical know-how. And Nashville is a growing community. Those people are a hot commodity. And we know that we're not alone in trying to look for those people. Yeah. And I think, you know, as an owner, you're looking and, and, and having these interviews with senior level folks that are 10, 12 years outside of college. And you want them to grow in their career and you, you sell yourself or the company, Daniels Chandler, as, hey, here's a place for you to grow. But at the same time, you're also trying to filter for loyalty and how that might shape and become integrated within a team. Also, we hired a bunch of young folks at first, and you're trying to balance that, hey, we're going to bring some senior level team members on. You've got to see this as opportunity for growth and how it's going to help you in your career. It's not this person's joining our team to cut your career path off. We hope it enhances it um, and, and helps expedite that. So it's, it was a good, healthy conversation, both directions. Like We needed to figure out what we needed for the company to grow at the same time bringing our team in and saying, hey, the next few hires are going to look different, but this is this is a growth opportunity for you, not not a setback. And that goes to the the mission, right? I mean, that relationship through design, I mean, that is, that's to the heart of it. Right. One thing I want to ask uh, is, what's the difference between loyalty and commitment? You know, I think commitment is, I, I think quickly it's the, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do exactly what I'm asked to do expectation wise. Loyalty starts to skew a little more emotionally. And it's, hey, I hear what you're saying you want to do to the business, you and Haley. But I think there's an opportunity in this direction. Can we start seeing what that looks like. Um, The ability to challenge opportunities or bring opportunities and know that that we will listen and try to implement that into the business plan over the next six months to a year. Uh, There's a vulnerability component to loyalty then. Haley's much better at words than I am. I mean, yin and yang, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's the she's the people she's the people right that's that's what we talked about earlier you're great i love that yeah okay so i want to switch this up for a quick second unless Haley, you, you wanted to add anyone okay uh something that i've heard from 
a lot of entrepreneurs and anyone that's really starting their companies is something called the entrepreneurial tax, right? Some people call it the uh, stupid tax. Some people call it the uh, learning, you know, school of hard knocks tax. However you want to call it, what entrepreneurial taxes have caught you off guard? I mean, I think we've gotten like the poor man's MBA through growing this business. Uh, there have been knocks, no doubt. Um, I think at the beginning when we were scrappy, a lot of the people that we look to to advise us, be it our legal team or our accounting team, we were smart enough to know what we didn't know. Uh, so we engaged them, which is great. That's a good first step. Um, but really vetting them out to make sure they were going to grow with us. I don't think we did a great job in that regard. And, you know, I I think those team members were really good at what they were doing. They were helping us set up a business. And then all of a sudden scaling started happening. And that's where I think, you know, two years into starting the business is where we started running into those entrepreneurial taxes per se. And as a young business, we were young at the time, still are. You talk about going and hiring a law firm, and if you want one of the big ones, you hear, oh gosh, it's going to cost $1,400 an hour for this firm to represent us. And that could be your accountant. It could be your lawyer. It could be any one other sub-consultant that you may need to help build a business. And that number sounds super intimidating, but what we learned is we were spending the same amount of money with with other consultants that may not have had expertise in how we were scaling and would spend as much or more than we would have had we just gone to a highly qualified, I'm not even going to say large, but highly qualified accounting firm, law firm, whatever it may be that specialized in what we were doing because the questions we were asking were never the first time that question had been asked. And so we might get a response within an hour or two and get an invoice and the invoice may have been $250, not actually $1,400. So learning how to see those opportunities is not cost, um, but actually efficiencies and helping us grow and scale and say, hey, also you'll need to be thinking about X, Y, Z. How do we wanna factor that in? We can do it over the next six months. And, and we've used that and judged it against our cash flow and, and push forward from there. Blake used to always say he wanted three people to always answer his phone call. One was me, uh, one was our accountant, and one was our lawyer. And if we didn't have that, we were going to have issues long term. So <laughs> having someone that we know when we call upon them, they're a trusted team member, uh, is worth every penny. So what is the approach to outsource resources now? Like, did you, did you, did you learn that I need to have somebody that knows our industry uh, I need to, maybe I just need to pay a little bit more. What is the approach you guys have now? So we have a lot of mentors in the field that have run businesses for a long time. Um, so the opportunity to sit down with them, we sat down with them quarterly and said, hey, let us pay for your lunch and pick your brain. And we'd say, hey, who do you use for an accountant? Or like, what law firm are y'all represented by? Please tell us more. Like, what are the issues that you've seen in your career and how would we avoid them? And they were more than happy to send a soft email saying, hi, so-and-so, please meet Haley and Blake. They're, they're some of my great colleagues in this industry. Would love for you guys to connect. And all of a sudden, we weren't getting the low man on the totem pole. We were getting the boss man that was more than willing to sit down with us and get to know us. 
And at which point they help select the team within their company that would work with us. But yeah, leaning on any any relationship in your network to help with a soft connection or a warm connection just it takes it so much further. Now we're experiencing it as we're building relationships with banks and such. You know, we can't just call a bank and say, hey, we 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 would like to come discuss how we're scaling and what getting extra capital may look like. No, we've talked to people, our mentors, they reach out and say, hey, Blake and Haley are scaling a great business here. I think you should sit down and talk to them. And it's amazing. The next week we end up having a meeting with these people, which would have taken months before. It's interesting. You talk, so you talk about scale. So I want to shift, shift again. Do you leverage technology in your business? And if so, how do you leverage technology in your business? help you be successful or to help you build scale? I mean, I think the biggest mind shift for us when we started, uh, I mean, a culture builder, we wanted us to be laptop based and for anyone on the team to be able to work anywhere in the world. Like those were two things like work-life balance is important. It's hard to say like it's a work-life balance when really it's just your life. So we needed to be cloud-based. So that includes, you know, our entire server is all cloud-based modeling via the cloud. Uh, it is an extra cost but it's a cost that's well worth it. And I think we can comfortably say it's a cost that's well worth it because we delayed some of the items coming onto the cloud for as long as we could. And as soon as we paid the- Piper. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as you pay the number, then all of a sudden productivity just skyrocketed. And we're like, why did we not do this a year ago or six months ago? But again, it always goes back to growing, looking at cash flow, what- Sounds like a small amount of money this month now, 12 months ago would have been a huge cost. Um, so, you know, don't beat her, we don't beat ourselves up too much about those things, but we have leaned on it and we bring it in as, as, as soon as we can. Technology is expensive, but it's getting cheaper every day, but then there's always new technologies. And, and so we've, we've leveraged that. And I think one of the other fun things we've done is we we try to implement VR as much as possible. I mean, we're building these digital models that are really large and we've got clients that don't always understand space. So it's fun to be able to put them in this three-dimensional world with VR goggles to help them understand the scale of it and what it looks like and how the windows do actually matter and they need to be really large and not the cost effect of smaller things here and there. So it helps them see, but it also helps us see our design because then we look at it and we go, wow, we haven't even thought about that portion of the room yet. So it kind of goes back and forth and it's a lot of fun. It even goes as simple as we had a mentor say, where I was like, I'm, we're struggling to get process organized. We're writing everything down. I don't know if anyone's looking at it. What are we doing wrong? And they said, we do how-to videos. We don't write anything. Just do a how-to video. And I'm like, what do you mean? Um, so we challenged our team. That was one of the things on the goals list. We said, what are the things you guys are doing often that you have to ask questions about? And so they came up with their own list. And when someone would do it, we'd do a video. And now there's an entire catalog of how we do things in our way, in our process, that they don't ask us the questions anymore. And sometimes we have to refer to them because they're so strong. It's so simple and it's such an easy thing to do, uh, but it makes a huge impact long-term. I love when people are using video for learning, because like, like, that is how like now people learn. Like th This is just how it's going, right? And when a business can do it, it is so impactful. It, it's so impactful. So kudos to you guys for taking that on and, and the team like building out the, the list of stuff that would make sense to have a training video on. 
Well, that's kudos to Haley and the team. I'm, I'm kind of the old analog person here that hangs out with sticky notes. So I'm still learning, <laughs> but I can write a really good checklist, but nobody looks at it. So I guess I need to make a video now. You should make a video about how you write a checklist on a sticky note. Then people will know. <gasps> right. <laughs> and then maybe they'll make one. Something that you mentioned before, uh, we call technology debt. Essentially, you can put off doing the upgrades. You can put off those expenses. But you even said at some point, technology expenses, they have to pay the Pied Piper, right? If you hadn't done what you did as early and kind of pushed it off to later, what would that have looked like for you if you had put it off for, for later? I just think through the hardships we've had with projects, I think we would be a much, I, I'm not going to say that is the reason we've grown, but I don't think our team would be as, we wouldn't be at 10 people now. And I think people coming out of school expect you to be integrating the latest and greatest technology as much as you possibly can and fiscally can. When we interview students straight out of college, they are excited to hear that we're doing something with VR at our scale because firms our size are not doing that right now. And they see that as a benefit. You do all these beautiful renderings in college and then you come out and they say, okay, that's fine, but do the construction documents, please. So we give them that opportunity to continue that creative component just as much. Well, and we've even been able to, you know, before we had the, the modeling in the cloud, we would individually be working on a model on our said desktop. And it may have lived on the cloud, but one person at a time could work on it. Now with cloud infrastructure, all 10 people can be working on that project at one time. Now, where has that played into culture building? You know, you may have one team member that's working on a large project and the deadline is coming up in a week and all of a sudden they realize there's no chance I am getting there by myself and we will order pizza in, we'll have beer. And we do a playlist. Everyone gets to drop their favorite 90s jams. That was our last jam session was a 90s themed hangout until as late as you can and let's get as much done as we possibly can. Yeah, and so you say, hey, everybody stops working on all their other projects at 3 p.m. We're gonna crack a beer. We're gonna help this other team member on their project. And if you work from three to 10, yes, it's, it's a late night, but now all of a sudden 10 people for an extra six hours worth of work really changes that outcome and that person's quality of life as they're trying to hit their deadline. Uh, and it allows us to jump in, everybody can help move on to the next task and not get bogged down. Um, and again, Blake and I are included in that. Yes. We're normally like detailing and writing specs and it's, it's a fun atmosphere. It is fun. And everybody has buy-in and you don't feel like, cause if it's you this month, it may be somebody else next month. So everybody commits because uh, they've all been, we've all been there. I feel like uh, you're you and, and I, I, maybe we should have an awards. Will um, I feel like at your age of company and size of company, you are like building one of the healthiest cultures. I feel like we've talked to like it is it is awing and, and hear, hearing like the, like this whole concept of like hey like we're, we don't pull that owner's card that doesn't happen around here we like we we lost those those owner's cards once we hired our first employee like they just they they we we lost them they don't happen anymore and like to hey we're gonna just three o'clock we're gonna help this one person and that means us too and we're all gonna just like you know have some pizza have some beer and then just work throughout this whole thing and like that's 
I don't know. It's just, it's really cool to hear. So I, I had to give you guys a, a shout out. Thank I appreciate you. that. Yeah. One of the biggest problems go, started going from small to larger is what do you track, right? Whether it's KPIs, metrics, whatever you want to call that. Do you track a whole bunch of metrics? Do you track at all? Or do you track just a few metrics? Why? So again, we'll point to the Catalyst class. Uh, we learned more about KPIs than I probably had ever heard of in my life. And it was huge in understanding like what data are we actually needing to track to ensure we're successful long-term? Because I think we had probably at that point, we had a ton of data and some of it just wasn't that useful. So really narrowing in on what was important and how do we use that to articulate to our team where we're being successful and where we could have more more opportunity for success. And, you know, tracking that data, I feel like Haley and I were really good at tracking data out the gate. We just didn't really understand what we were looking at. And so now the team gets excited and helps us track the data because we like to know our win-loss rate on projects we're proposing on, which after a while becomes another marketing opportunity for our team, especially when we talk about our corporate interiors division, that if they're going to meet with a new broker and they say, hey, when you work with us, 70 or 80% of your of the projects we're going to work on are going to turn into leases. Um, so yes, we watch track, we track the cash flow. Yes, we're tracking profitability and those things. And I think that's where Haley and I are watching it on a mar- much larger basis. But we also want to get into the finite details of what is what is each team member's success and how does that success help them go grow their portfolio? And knowing those little metrics like that, it's it's huge and gives them a lot of confidence too. I mean, as a young designer, if I knew that if I met with 10 people, six of them were likely to turn into clients, my confidence factor is a lot higher than if I think I'm going to win one out of 10. Uh, and, and you don't look at it as losses. You look at them as opportunities. Great way of uh, rephrasing, you know, what, what metrics really represent. So, and I bet you, you probably were trying to remember when you were back in college or whatnot, or the or even high school, or those what were those classes that they were trying to teach me about? Uh, you know, which column goes into into where? Uh, how does this math actually work? So I'm glad that it kind of came back around uh, and it's useful now. So yeah, for sure. So last question we have, which is a favorite question of ours, is. Uh, both of you individually, uh, if you could go back 20 years, what would you tell yourself? What would advice would you give yourself? That's 2002. Uh, so, you know, actually, yeah, 2002. So as you asked this in the pre-interview, I had to think back and I have to call us out on this. A lot of the times in your podcast, you know, people are young professionals at this time. Blake was 15 and I was 12. So <laughs> it's a little different this time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You may, in addition, in in. Uh, in addition to maybe the healthiest young culture, also maybe the youngest uh, uh, owners that we've interviewed as well. So, yeah, it's a great question. It's one that's, uh, it's fun to look back on and think about. I would say now I am, I come across as very outgoing. I would describe myself as an extroverted introvert. Uh, I really energize by being quiet and calm. So my advice to myself would have been be more confident uh, and and confidence. You know, as a kid, I was thinking, man, how's that? How, how could that person be so confident? 
I hope I could be like that one day. And I, I'm pretty much there, but I have to work towards that. Uh, and the advice is do your research before you go to any meeting. And as long as you know what you're talking about, that helps. But I used to get a lot of anxiety and my wife can speak to this too. And this was just 10 years ago when we got married. I did not do well in big crowds. Uh, it stressed me out. I was not, I would not describe myself as a social butterfly, but now before I go to a, an event, I have done my research. I know three or four people that are going to be there and I know their backgrounds, which allows me to have lead in questions. And now I get the conversation of, man, you're great at these at, at conversations. And I'm like, well, you don't realize how much research I did before <laughs> this, but I can't tell you that because that comes across as a little creepy. Uh, but it does help build that confidence. And I would like to encourage people to, hey, if you've got a, what you interpret as a, as a weakness, it can become an opportunity. And it just, it takes years to work on it, but I got there. I think mine would be, uh, don't wait to take the risk. And a lot of the risk you'll take is worth it. Um, some of the scariest things in my life have led me to the best opportunities. Uh, especially like if you had told me at 12 years old, you're gonna move across the country. You're gonna know absolutely no one when you go to school, but you'll be fine, don't worry. Um, and then you're gonna still be 10 hours from what you've called home your entire life. And by the way, you're gonna start a business at 27. Like all of those things are so intimidating up front. But if I think about it, like the people that presented me opportunities, this calculated risk are some of the people I'm closest with in life. And I've built the best relationships with them. So allowing myself to know that like, some things that are scary are also the, some of the strongest things that are worth it. Great. Wise words, uh, especially talking to your 12-year-old and 15-year-old self. <laughs> uh, awesome. So I will throw, obviously, all your social links and all that stuff in the show notes. Um, if people want to get a hold of you or people uh, looking for a job, because uh, it sounds like you're going to be hiring here soon, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you? email. So uh, mine is hchandler at danielschandler.com. And mine's not much different. It's bdaniels at danielschandler.com. Awesome. 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 And is there uh, anything else you'd like to share with the people before uh, we go? We just appreciate you having us on. Uh, we've really enjoyed getting to know y'all. So we wish y'all the best. Yeah, this has been a fun process. And I think we've learned a lot yeah. through this. It's always important to sit back and reflect on kind of your small successes and how you've got to where you are. Well, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, you guys are you you guys are bona fide uh, badasses. That's the easiest way to put that. So, uh, yes. So, uh, to our listeners, until next time, adios. Adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or are looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.